So David looks like everything's all cool. He takes in the widow of one of his greatest officers. David's making himself look good through all of this. It looks pretty much a successful cover. It got a little messy there at times, but all in all, it's behind us. He can move on. And though it's covered up, it's not covered up from God. And it says in verse 29 of that same chapter, the Lord was very displeased with David. But God's going to give David a chance to repent and come to grips with his sin. And for nine months, even after the child is born, he's giving David a chance to repent. You know, he's letting David get that chance, but he's not going to do it. David is remaining silent. So God inspired the prophet Nathan to give David a chance to come clean of his sin by confronting him. And it says in the Bible, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. And he came to him and he said to him, there were two men in one city, one rich and one poor. The rich man had exceedingly many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one ewe lamb, which he had bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup and lay in the bosom and was like a daughter to him. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock, from his own herd, to prepare one for the way, wayfaring man, way, man who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. So David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb, because he did this thing. And because he had no pity. Then David, then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your keeping and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been too, if that would have been too little, I would have also given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You've killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken his wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. And thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up adversity against you and from your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all of Israel, before the sun. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. So Nathan comes to David to give him a case to weigh in on. And that was a very common thing, to present a case to the king that might give him, you know, that he may have judgment upon. And of course, you know, to, to point blank, David, it probably never would have worked, but he had to diffuse his self-righteousness. So this story helped do that. And of course, just to recap it, there was a poor man and a rich man. The rich man had many flocks and many herds in abundance. The poor man had just this one ewe lamb that was basically their pet. And when a traveler came into the land to stay with the rich man, the rich man, instead of taking from the abundance of his flock for the traveler, he came to the poor man and took his one lamb and butchered it to feed the traveler. And of course, David hears the story and he explodes in anger. He's livid over what he's hearing. The death of the lamb, the pay that, that caused the family of that lamb, when this guy has an abundance, David calls for the rich man's death and to make restoration. David, Nathan confronts David and exposes him and says, David, you are that man. You are the rich man in the story. You are worse than the story. And then in verse 13, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Another translation says, I stand guilty before God. There's no blaming. There's no excuses. Just a pure confession before God and the prophet. It took over nine months, but it finally came. And what was God's response to David's confession of guilt? God extends grace to David. 
and forgiveness to him in an incredible way. There are six things we can learn from this story with David. When we sin, when we fail, when we fall short in a situation, whether it's grievous as David's or less, what are we to do when we sin? Number one, we learn from David instead of covering up our sin, we need to confess our sin to God immediately. In doing so, we ask for his forgiveness. In Proverbs 28, 13, it says, He who covers up his sin shall not prosper. There's no exceptions. If a person's an exception, then they're probably not a child of God. Jesus himself helped us to not cover up our sin in the Lord's Prayer. We said, Our Father which art in heaven, how would it be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, uh, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's a daily prayer that we ask for God's forgiveness for our trespasses, for our willful disobedience to him. And then John gives us a great verse in 1 John 1, 9. He says, if, you know, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mark this well. He will be faithful to forgive us, and on top of that, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a powerful, powerful verse for all of us who are Christians when we fail and when we sin. Number two, we need to confess our sin to those we have sinned against and ask for their forgiveness. James tells us this. He says, confess your trespasses one to another. He's talking about when we sin against another person. Yes, we confess our sin and ask for forgiveness, but then we also ask forgiveness from significant others that we've sinned against. Then pray for one another that there may be healing because our sin has an impact on those that we have sinned against. And how far-reaching and healing can a confession of wrongdoing to one another can be? So it's important that we not only receive God's forgiveness, but from those people that we've sinned against, we want to receive their forgiveness too. Number three, I need to repent of my sin, a change of mind about my sin. That's going to result in a change of action, a change of direction. David, he did repent. There was nothing he could do about the train wreck. There was nothing you and I can do about that very moment of the train wreck. But the one thing that we can do is repent so that we will not re ever repeat that train wreck again. And David re repented. We, read, we never read of David ever committing adultery again in his life. The fourth thing, there is a need to make restitution where that might apply in a situation. You know, if I, if, if I steal from a person in a business deal, it's not enough that God convicts me of my sin and I confess my sin to God and to them. No, that money is to be repaid. There's restitution to be made. Jesus tells us this in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Number five, we need to accept God's forgiveness for our sins. And let me say, David did. Many times people struggle in forgiving themselves, and under, that's understandable, but accept and receive God's forgiveness and His grace, and that's going to help us to forgive ourselves too, because if God forgives us, we can forgive ourselves. Yes, David would pay a private price for his sin for the rest of his life, but there is no sin greater than God's forgiveness if we confess it and we repent of it. Once again, wash with that soap of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And number six, and finally, there's a responsibility of owning the consequences of our sin. To David's credit, he did. The easiest thing to do when you have done what David has done is to run, to escape. Just quit being a follower of God completely. 
to escape God and enter into the heathen life again helps to release the conviction, helps to stop the aging process of that sin that's before you day and night. That is no doubt the easiest thing to do. And even though you are having to live with your shame, you can, for the relationship with God's on the back burner. And there's no God, no Christian fellowship, no church, less and less conviction. It's the coward's way out. And to David's credit, he did not run. He grew close to God. Then he took the consequences like a man. And in my mind, there is no, there's so much respect for that kind of man that does that. And let me just say, has David disappointed you? Or maybe there's a leader disappointed you, or maybe perhaps a pastor or minister or even a family member. And it's to the point that I could never respect them again. And that's understandable. And, but, but if they're not running away and they're sticking with it and they're confessing their sins to God and they're confessing it to other people and they are repenting of their sin and they're wanting to get back on track, they're making a good decision. And hopefully we could respect that from them when they do that. Never underestimate the grace of God with confession of sin and repentance. That's what we are to do. It's not the easiest thing at the moment, but over the long haul, it's the best way and the right way and will be by far the best travel road compared to the bad decision of ever trying to cover it up.